0: This is the Living Vertizano Podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today focuses on Matthew 28, 1-20, with the account of Jesus' resurrection, the report of the guards, and the Great Commission. Together, we will be discussing Christ's call to make disciples as we go.
1: Hi, everybody. I'm Nick.
0: I'm Natasha.
2: I'm Brittany.
1: I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast. Back with you this week to finish up our journey through Matthew. Yes, you heard that correctly. It has been a two-year journey almost to the date. um, And we have the opportunity now to uh, finish up our conversation uh, as we work through the entirety of of Matthew chapter uh, 28. Um, Just as a quick reminder, uh, last week our episode examined Matthew 27, 45 through 66, uh, where we finished the account of Jesus' death on the cross, his burial, and the posting of the guard at the tomb. Together, as we discuss those particular stories, we discussed Jesus as the fulfillment of Israel's messianic promise and the ushering in of a new kingdom. This week... Um, As we finish Matthew, we will be exploring the account of Jesus' resurrection and uh, the report of the guards, as well as the Great Commission. Um, And so today, I believe we have Brittany reading for us to bring us home. So Brittany, would you uh, read Matthew chapter 28 for us?
2: Yes. Matthew 28. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was laying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I've told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. They ran to him, grasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, will stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age.
1: All right. Thank you for reading that for us, Brittany. Um, Let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, What are we seeing? What's standing out to us uh, as we look at Matthew 28? So I,
3: I think the first thing that sticks out to me is the time and what's going on. Um, so it's, it's after Sabbath, so we know we're three days removed from Jesus being um, crucified. And then we also see this difference in the light. Uh, when Jesus gave up his spirit, it w- there was darkness. Um, and now we see this is at dawn, this, the sun is rising, like literally and literally the sun is <laughs> literally rising literally. Yes, so like we see this this change of kind of like what we talked about last week. This this coming into the new age. We have this uh, this new covenant being fulfilled, completed, and so we're coming into a new new time. Right,
1: I think uh, in in echoing that conversation of you know the the passing away of the old age and some of that symbolism from the prophecy of Amos that we talked about last week we see pieces of of that happening here um in in this uh there's an earthquake that happens even right now so last week we talked about how there was this earthquake and it was one of those signs of things that were to come uh as a Uh, indication of the passing away of the old age and the ushering in of the new age. And it's like, so that was the passing away of the old age, earthquake, earthquake, enter new age. And so we just have some more of that symbolism repeated here again to reinforce that idea.
3: I also found it kind of interesting. The, um, the guards that they, they became afraid and they shook and became like dead men. And so, um, it's just ironic. Like there's this trading of positions in a sense, like Christ is has become alive and they're as if they're dead. And so it's just, I don't know, kind of ironic.
1: Yeah. And we, we see this, like, it, it has seemed like in our journey through Matthew, there's this regular um, tension is maybe the word to use um, between the, the powers that be, whether that be, um like the jewish leadership powers whether that be roman empire imperial powers um or like the power of god and his kingdom and here we see like the the ultimate stamp the ultimate statement of like those powers those um kingdoms have nothing on the kingdom of of god like ultimately they will fall before the kingdom of God. They they can't hold him. They can't keep him down. Like the kingdom of God wins. And we, we see that here as, as the stone is rolled away. Like the stone was put there in an effort to keep him in by the Jewish leaders, by the Roman officials, as we talked about last week, like that's, that was its purpose. And here, the stone is rolled away. It can't hold him.
0: Well, and I think the guards coming face to face with this reality that I just saw this dead dude and now he's alive. <laughs> like this is this. I mean, that just happened. You know, that's right. this, surely when they come to their senses from this dead state, dead state. Yeah. For <laughs> like, like dead state. yeah. Um, they go and they go to share this really remarkable news right. with all these guys that are supposed to care because they're supposed to be looking for this guy, mm. right? He he said he would do this. You guys were worried that they would make up a lie about this, and I'm I'm here to tell you it wasn't a lie. Like it actually happened, right? And so then then you see them believing this truth. I'm assuming. I, I'm assuming. They didn't doubt. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they started to wonder, well, did I miss something? Am I misremembering? I don't know. But then the chief priests hearing this, I'm, I'm struck by the reality that then they would still coming face to face with the reality that they made a mistake. Like, I feel like this is their kind of like a last chance, you know, and I'm sure they, they maybe had more, but this feels like a last chance moment here at the end of Matthew like you you were wrong, he rose from the dead, so now, what do you do with this new evidence? Mm-hmm. and again their 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 decision is to dismiss it. Their decision is to continue in the way of thinking that they had been carrying along all along or that they had been going in all along
1: yeah they they choose to continue the deception, right like yes they they're coming fully face to face with the reality of who Jesus is in this moment in this account however i mean that's been happening all along like they can see clearly what's going on and they are refusing to buy into it
0: well and i think this is an important conversation for us to have. I mean, I think about how many times I'm blatantly faced with the reality of something that is true and how many times I brush it off or dismiss it or, Mm. or choose to maybe believe something a little different or doubt, you know, well, maybe I didn't hear that right. Maybe that wasn't actually Jesus speaking to me. Maybe, you know, that was my own thought or something. And I, I feel like we have, I don't know, we have a tendency to do that a lot and so again I guess as we're talking about this I'm sitting here thinking about myself constantly pointing and it's easy to point it out and say well hey they they clearly are missing this over and over and over and over again they're missing it and they're choosing to propagate a lie they're choosing to live in a lie when they've been given truth Mm -hmm. and then I feel like when I examine my own life maybe I'm not so different that I'm given truth after truth after truth. And if I'm not paying close enough attention or if my focus is distracted on something else, like theirs was, as you pointed out, distracted by the power or distracted by the system that they really need to remain in place for their livelihood and for their benefit. If I'm distracted by something else, then I miss the truth that's being offered to me.
1: Yeah, I think as you were saying that, the the thing that, I kept thinking about is, okay, so when I'm in those moments, what is it that, that distracts me from the truth? What is it that, that makes it easier for me to be like, to try to dismiss it? And genuinely it's usually when like something's going to lead to something very uncomfortable. Like the truth is going to lead to something very uncomfortable. It's going to lead to um, a major change in life. Cause I don't really like changes. Um, it's going to affect uh, more than just me it's going to affect people around me like i don't like that happening um i know that also i guess true confessions in the past it's also happened when like it's going to impact my position in a given situation and none of those are a valid reason to reject truth right like truth is truth and that's all there is to it and we have to be willing to open ourselves up to it. But in recognizing that about myself, I, I think it wouldn't be too far of a stretch for us to then read back into scripture here and say, that's probably a lot of what was going on here with the Pharisees. It's why they wanted him dead in the first place and why they still want him to his body to have been stolen instead of resurrected in this moment right here is because... The truth results in the the uh, setting of the old age, like the the end of the old age. The the truth results in a totally upside down version of what they've been living, mm-hmm. and, and they
0: they've worked so hard to get to where they are,
1: right?
3: Which is pretty ironic when you consider like where we head next. That that an angel speaks to women, and we've already discussed like the view of of women at this time. And so like, you know, Jesus is speaking to the most unlikely.
0: And their testimonies don't count for anything. Right. Right.
3: And, but the irony is like he's using the ones who didn't run. And oftentimes mm-hmm. like they were willing to stand in the fire, so to speak, and the disciples scattered. Like if we like compare it to Old Testament, like right, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like, like, they were willing to stand in the fire and trust Jesus. And the disciples were like, I'm, I'm going to protect me and I'm out. And so, like, sometimes, like, we have to be willing to stand in the fire so that, you know, we can go and proclaim the good news. And, you know, unlike the, the Pharisees or the church leaders, like, these women had nothing to lose. There was nothing for them to lose. Right. And I think that's the biggest difference. They were, like, following after Jesus, recognizing I have nothing to lose. And, like, that should be my position because anything that I have is not because I did something to get it. It was because God gave it. And so if I treated everything in that same way, like, I'd probably be a lot more like the two Marys.
0: I think it takes us back to the Beatitudes, right, where Jesus kind of started all of this. Um, you know, I think, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, um, mm-hmm. and so here they are getting to experience the kingdom of heaven.
1: One piece that I uh, see here in the the exchange that Jesus has with um, the Marys is like at, right they've already encountered the angel who has told them to go and tell the disciples. And so they're, they're on their way to do that. And then they encounter the risen Christ and he tells them, you know, don't be afraid. Um, but after that, don't be afraid statement. He says, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee there. They will see me. And I read that and, and knowing where we are at in in the lives of his quote brothers, they as has already been pointed out, they ab- they abandoned him, they fled, and I feel like in this statement from Jesus, we see the heart of reconciliation coming out full force, like just like Jesus when when um, when Judas comes to him. And he says, "Friend, do what you came to do. Like, it doesn't matter what the other people have done to him. He still always sees this path of reconciliation. This this way back. Like, there is nothing that anybody has done or might even be thinking about doing that can that can prevent Jesus from seeing them." for who they can be with him. And you see that here once again as he's talking to Mary and Mary when he says go and tell my brothers, not those 11 people who ran from me, not those 11 hard-headed men that just continue to miss it. Go and tell my brothers. And I don't know, that hearing that, that there there's just so much hope in that. I know last week we talked about how um the the shoot hold on where is it Psalm twenty two I know last week when we addressed that whole my God my God statement and and how it was an allusion back to Psalm twenty two and the righteous sufferer and and how the first half of that psalm is is a kind of a downer and, and pretty difficult to to get through and it's there's a lot of suffering and there's a lot of a lot of difficulty, but then you turn the page and all of a sudden there's hope. And last week we were kind of stuck in that downer place. Like we, I think it was, we've got to keep all of Psalm 22 in mind when Jesus is like calling back to it. And so he's saying hope is on the horizon, but right here, here is that horizon, as you pointed out at the beginning, at the top of the episode, Derek, with, you know, the, the rising of the sun. Like this is that horizon where Hope is here, actually. It's not just before us, but it has come, and it has called us brothers. And I guess I, you know, and and thinking about that from a, like, life application perspective, being people who are called to be like Christ, this is one of those areas that gets more difficult, I would say, if, again, if I'm being fully honest. I don't know that I've ever had an outright betrayal like Jesus experienced with Judas. I don't know that I've ever experienced full abandonment like Jesus did with the 11, but some of the difficult things that I've encountered in my life, there has been a long, like a a process that I've had to struggle through of getting to the place of being able to say that reconciliation is what I want to work towards now. And, Jesus doesn't have to struggle through that process like this is just who he is and in seeing that like this is who we are to be too I, I get that we're all on a journey and so it's not like you we should be down on ourselves if there is you know a process that we are still working through but the truth of the matter and the reality is like this is who we are called to be where we could encounter some of the worst betrayal we've ever faced in our lives. And our response is welcome back brother or hello friend.
0: I feel like there's so much hope in that too, because when I think about all the ways that I've fallen short, you know that this, this is an example of like this reckless love of God, right? That he there's nothing that can separate us from his love. There's nothing we could do. He just loves. Right. And I think you see it played out here. And so yes, we're supposed to see this example and then having the heart of Christ extend this same love to others. But also that love is for us
3: right. too. Right. I also feel like the 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 two Marys are carrying out this physically, this representation, because I feel like coming from a, like a fleshly perspective, it would have been easy for, for them to say, well, why would I go tell them Jesus? Why should I go tell them Jesus? They bailed right. on you. We were here the whole time. Right. Um, but yet that wasn't their resolve at all. Like they were getting what Jesus was asking. Like they're getting what Jesus is getting ready to ask. Right. Like, it's not just like um it's, it's as if they understood the Great commission before God even like mm-hmm. through, before Jesus even shared it with the disciples. Mm-hmm. but I do it's think okay. it's I think it's ironic because their their resolve could have been like, well, they don't deserve to be able to have this good news. That would be my fleshly response, <laughs> like they if I'm left. in that moment, like I stayed here in the fire, Jesus, and they bailed, and you want me to tell them the guys who weren't here like that's my job? No way.
1: If you want them, you go get them. Exactly. <laughs> I
0: think Jesus has a parable about this.
1: I think so. So Derek, as you were saying that um as we kind of move into the the set of script uh, set of verses known as the Great Commission, a connection was made in my mind that hadn't been made before and that is both of the preceding sections leading to the great commission are about people who weren't even, didn't even have to necessarily be convinced to, but they're about those people going and proclaiming what had happened. The good news of the gospel, which is he is risen. He has conquered death. And you, you see it from two very unlikely sources. First, first, Two women, which we've already established why that's unlikely. Second, Roman soldiers, which, like, this is this is craziness. They, they don't buy this stuff. Like, they, they're just there because they were told they had to be there. Like, they're all about brutality. They're all about extending their own kingdom. Like, it's not about somebody else's kingdom. And yet, when they are faced with the truth, I, I get that they are... Um, bribed into spreading other statements, but their first reaction to what they have seen is proclamation. And so as we move into the great commission, I I think it's just, I I don't know. I view it in a new light now, recognizing that even before the great commission where Jesus had to actually ask his disciples to go and do this, there was two different groups of people who naturally just did this.
3: Well, like we've talked about the whole like time throughout Matthew that Jesus focused on the heart. He focused on preparation. He focused on obedience. Right. And like this, these like that Mary's example specifically is, is just that their heart has been forever changed. They've spent time with Jesus. They've been, they've been preparing. He has been preparing them for, for this time. And when the angel confronts them, they were obedient. There was no, like, they didn't need any more proof. They didn't need anything. They were there, they were in the place and they were given a task and they carried it without, like, without much rebuttal or like refusing, like, I think of it in terms of like my own kids, like, man, I wish that was the response every time. Like, it's just like, I give the command and that's it. It's done. It's over.
1: I think the problem, Derek, is uh, you can't say all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me.
3: Well, in terms of parenting, I guess it has been right. Okay, fair enough. uh, But, but, you know, I I just, their their resolve, like, in this portion is... Everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus desires that we do. Mm -hmm. And now you can't say, well, only Jesus did it because he's given us an example of two women who did exactly what he is getting ready to utter out of his mouth for us to do. So there's no like excuse. It's like, well, I can't do that. You know, like he, he was Jesus. He's perfect. Uh, Man, that's a great excuse. We love using that. Like, oh, he's perfect. He's Jesus. And there is some truth in that, yes, but their resolve was to be obedient.
0: Well, and those women, the only training or experience that they had was the time that they spent with Jesus. and it was enough.
1: So here we are obviously the message was delivered uh, by the Marys and the uh, the eleven went on to Galilee. Um, and so we now find ourselves in this conversation where, where Jesus is, you know, he's, um, shown himself to the Marys and now he is coming to his disciples to give this final command, this final commissioning, uh, to them.
0: So I think when I, I don't know, for most of my life, I've read this or heard this quoted because it's, I mean, it's a pretty familiar passage, I think, if you've grown up in the church. And I hear this first part of verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And I kind of assumed, well, goodness, if we're actually really following Jesus, then I'm gonna go and make disciples of the nations. I I make this mistake of, first of all, thinking about it from an individual perspective instead of a communal perspective. Mm. And then I also make this Mistake, I think by misunderstanding this therefore go, whereas I feel like probably a better way to translate this would be as you go or as you are going. And so I think as my eyes open up to these two things, one, I'm not alone. I have a team of people that are going with me. And so it's not my job to reach everybody across all the nations. It's our job as the church to reach everybody across the nations. That's the first thing. And then the second part I feel like is this reality that I don't have to stop doing the things that Jesus has gifted me in. I don't have to stop doing the things he's called me into. I don't have to stop being a parent. I don't have to stop supporting my kids in what they do. It's just when I go and I watch my kids at gymnastics, I'm going to be making disciples. Right. And when I go and watch the soccer game on Saturday... I'm supposed to be there to make disciples. And so it's a reorienting of your life mission. And so I think that for me, this really opened up this much larger picture or perspective of what it actually means to go and make disciples. But as I go to make disciples, whatever I'm doing, whether I'm cleaning the house, whether I'm making dinner, whether I'm, you know, going through a drive through Whatever it is,
1: yeah, I think I have, for a majority of my life, read this passage. Like you said, very familiar, but I've read it as there's like this differentiation. Like therefore, go. So at, at one point, I'm going to go, and I'm going to make disciples. Like it, it, it just it looks different, right? Like so, like for an hour this day, I go and I walk around trying to talk to people about Jesus. Like that's me therefore going and making disciples. I'm living out the great commission, but that's a very limited and uh, narrow understanding of what Jesus is actually calling the disciples to. This is not just a um, momentary um, defined like peace
0: You can't be near as effective in your one hour a day, even if you commit that much to it as you can, if you're doing it every moment of every day as you go. And
1: all that you do. Yeah. You're not to differentiate your life from your making of disciples. Our life is to make disciples.
3: Well, and it it relieves pressure from from other people. Like um, you've used the example of, of in the past we've talked about like at when you were a youth pastor that your role wasn't to like be that that person in their life you know your role was you had like 1 hour a week to try to help shape and mold and so if if i'm expecting to drop my kids off for youth on sunday night and that be all that they get then that's not fair to you it's also not fair to my kids because i'm dropping the ball i'm not mm-hmm. doing what god's called me to do i'm only making disciples of other people at the neglect of my own kids and that doesn't seem that seems counterintuitive because i'm missing the people that i see the most and doing what like hoping that i like am effective for someone else and so i I think that like as you frame it that way it helps us to understand that like you know Youth groups a great thing, like children's church is a great thing, but they're only a part. Like we have the biggest influence in our children's lives. The 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 two Brittany and I, you and Natasha, you like we have the biggest influence. Those are the biggest like disciple field that we'll have. Mm -hmm. And if we're expecting someone else to do it, like we're missing it. So if we're only discipling for a couple hours a week, we may not even be discipling our own families.
0: Our kids spend more time reading at school.
1: Right. Um one of my mentors, Hal, always makes this regularly alludes to this equation, making a myriad of different statements associated with it. But he will say things like, When we are eating dinner, we don't eat dinner to be sustained. We go to dinner to make disciples when we are going to a football game, we're not going to a football game to be entertained. We go to a football game to make disciples while we are watching football. When we are sitting down to do homework with our children, we're not sitting down to get their homework done. We're sitting down to make disciples while we accomplish the task of homework. Like it is a reframing and a reorienting of our life to recognize that every single thing that we do following this great commission is to be cast in the light of the reason I'm doing this is to make disciples while this is, this action is being carried out.
3: Mm -hmm. I feel like when you say, say like that, like that makes me realize that I need to repent for the, the lack of understanding Like, what what Jesus is saying here, like, the lack of understanding truly. Like, yeah, you can read the the words on the page and understand what they say, but to have a fuller meaning. um, And maybe, you know, that's, unfortunately, maybe that's where we've landed some in the church. Like, we help people understand what it says without understanding what it truly means. Like, Mm. we're only scratching the surface of what it means to be a disciple. And you know, I'm part of that cog. And I recognize, Jesus, that I haven't always gotten it right. And for that I I truly am sorry because um, you know, I want my life to be oriented in that way to where when I am going, that I only have one goal in mind. And unfortunately, when I am going, I have my goals typically are what are in my mind. And so like Jesus, I recognize that I have missed it. Like, and I don't want to because I don't want to live a life of like coulda, wouldas, and shouldas, but I also don't want to expect other people to do what you are asking me to do. And so, yeah, there might be someone else there discipling, but I don't want their distraction to be moved somewhere else because they're trying to like do like all these things at once. And I know he's a big God, um, but yeah, I just recognize like i've I've fallen short.
0: I think probably most of us could echo, mm-hmm. echo your prayer.
2: It's really easy to like Derek, like you're saying, to have to focus on going and making disciples instead of focusing on what's in front of you. You know, we have six kids right now in our home. and if our focus is, oh, who were we going to reach in our neighborhood? Who were we going to reach in our community? Or who? But our focus isn't on what am I showing my children at home? Who am I when nobody's looking? Who, who do they see when the doors are shut? I think that speaks to the character, and I, I think that's kind of like you guys are talking about, that And as you go and as we go, as we go to the games and the gymnastics and the events that we are... Present and we are discipling as we go.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's exactly it. And when we continue to read on to this next phrase in the same verse, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Um, this word baptizing is kind of interesting in that to baptize something. So we have this this Christian um, sacrament of baptism, which is kind of, you know.
1: We have the Christian understanding right, of baptism. Right, so, so
0: there's that. And But this term bab, baptize, to baptize something, you could also talk about um, dyeing linens. So if I have this cloth and I want to dye it purple, then I'm going to, quote, baptize it in this purple dye, and then I'll wring it out and I'll dry it. And then I'm going to, well, it's not the tent I want yet. So I'm going to dip it in there again. And I'm going to repeat the process over and over and over until this fabric is the desired color. And when I think about that image, I feel like that's what we're doing when we're, as we go, when we're baptizing, right? We're or discipling We're we're going through life and we're constantly submerging people in Christ as best as we know how, and that doesn't always look like this proclamation piece. Sometimes it looks like loving. Sometimes it looks like listening, Um, and there's just a whole variety of things that it could be in a moment, so to try to sum it up with anything is silly other than to say we have to be so focused on Jesus and so listening for him that this living vertical piece just takes over our whole life, and that's all we're ever doing. We're on mission for Jesus following his great commission and we're constantly listening to him. What do I say next? What do I do next? Do you want me to say anything? What would you do in this situation? And I feel like slowing down enough to establish that as a lifestyle is really, really hard in the culture that we exist in. Right.
1: And so as I I think about you know this this additional understanding of a ba- of baptism, not that we're saying that like the Christian understanding of baptism isn't in in place here, isn't being instituted here um, from Christ. Obviously, baptism has existed, kind of, but that was like John the Baptist thing that he did. Um, but. It's almost like a filling up, like a fuller, like like how Jesus says, "I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, to fill it up with its meaning, and, and help you understand everything about it." Like when we think about it in those terms, like baptism becomes fuller. Like it's not just about like the sacrament of baptism, but it is about this allowing the presence of Christ to permeate through us as his disciples, so much so that when we are walking in life, the people around us are being surrounded by his presence. And just as the the purple dye in the water surrounds the fabric and begins to change its physical properties, the presence of Christ surrounding people begins to change their spiritual properties. And in time, yeah, no, it's not like an instant. Like it, it dips in. Oh, now it's exactly what like perfect reflection of Christ, because it's just encountered like the the essence of Jesus. No. But in time, as it continues to come in contact and come in contact and come in contact, it can't help but be influenced and impacted. And we begin to see this this fuller reflection of Jesus in the world around us.
0: And then we get to this last piece, verse 20, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And we know that Jesus can sum this up between like really two, two commands, love God and love others, love people. And what that looks like is going to vary. So again, you have to be relying on the Holy spirit every moment. So you don't miss it. Um, but also part of loving people and loving God is this obedience also. Yep. And he's just made a command. Go and make disciples of all nations. As you go, make disciples. And he's not he he doesn't distinguish between different groups of people and say you shouldn't go, you should go. This is this is all. Mm. All go and make
1: all disciples. Y'all.
3: Yeah, I I don't think he could have made it much simpler, like (laughs) for them. Like, in terms of, he didn't use a bunch of churchy words and he didn't try to make it difficult to understand. I think he was very direct and very short in what he said because, like, we don't have to fluff it up or anything. Just, you know, love God, love people, and let me do what I do. I'm just asking you to be, like, willing. To as you go to love, as you go be obedient, as you go listen, as you go. I'll do. I'll take care of the rest. Just be willing and love, and and I'll take care of it. Um, because, you know, I feel like we are so good at making a list of dos and don'ts that we can like, like. Uh, I don't know cloud, who. Jesus really is because we've put all of these things around him and say, he's this and he's this and he's this. And he just simply says, you know, go. And as you're going love. And, you know, I I think it can really be that simple.
1: Well, and I think, I think when we talk about this list of do's and don'ts, like you just said, I think we actually short circuit the call to obedience. The call to obedience is to walk in obedience to Christ not to walk in obedience to a law. The Pharisees already did that. And he came and said, that's not what I want you to do. Right. And so when we're talking about this, this idea of teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, when we're talking about this idea of going and making disciples, like, and then we think about what Jesus did as he was on earth, like Jesus walked in obedience to the father this has been a conversation we've been having for a number of weeks now in the podcast, Derek, you've brought it up numerous times about how like Jesus's walk to the cross was a walk of obedience. Yes, there's love. And we have really emphasized and focused on the love in the church, which is not necessarily a bad thing by any means. Like Jesus totally did love us, but he also loved his father. And so when we think about that, like, the call that we have in our lives as disciples is to walk in obedience to him, not walk in obedience to a structure, not walk in obedience to a clearly defined policy and procedure. Not that any of these things are necessarily a bad thing to help give guidance, but these are not what we are to walk in obedience to. We are to walk in obedience to Christ. And the closing statement that Jesus makes is why this is possible. It's why the do's and don't why I can actually say that it's not about walking in line with the do's and don'ts. It's not about walking in line with the policies and procedures. We actually can walk in line in obedience with Jesus because his statement is and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus's promise following this great commission, following this great commandment uh is I am with you. The obedience I have called you to is possible because I am with you. I am not leaving you. I am not far from you. I am walking with you. And so each of us, as we seek to follow him, as we work out what this looks like to be his disciple, we too, just as he walked in obedience to his father, can Work towards walking in obedience unto Him.
0: It's been a good journey through Matthew. Next week, we will begin our study into the books of Haggai and Malachi. A study companion entitled Midweek Meditations, A Journey Through Haggai and Malachi is available for purchase on Amazon. Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.